of Internet Wonderland. I hope my voice finds you well. Welcome back to my home. This is Cheshire's Place. As always, I am your host, the melodious one, Mr. Cheshire. You can always find me in my small little corner of Internet Wonderland by clicking a like on the Facebook group page, Cheshire's Place, a looking glass and a logical madness. You can listen to this episode and all other content on anchor.fm. Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, the Samsung Podcast Network, Amazon Podcast, and many other platforms. And if you ever feel like dropping a line or saying hi or giving any thoughts or suggestions for upcoming episodes, feel free to email me at CheshireLookingGlass at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Place Cheshire. <clears throat> So, I apologize, I had to clear my throat, it's been a very long day. Um, First and foremost, I'd like to thank everyone that managed to wish me a happy birthday this past weekend. Um, Y'all definitely made the day special. And it's hard 
you know, turning 24 again. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I am proud to say that I am 41 years of age. I am proud to say that I do have some gray hair. And that I'm slowly beginning to feel like I'm 60. But that's neither here nor there. But once again, <clears throat> thank you, everyone, for the warm birthday wishes and, you know, the love and support. It's greatly appreciated. And, you know, you've definitely made me feel special on my day. So, tonight, I figure we talk about a couple of things. First things first, some news, because the month of March has definitely been very newsworthy on several different fronts. So, we're going to dive into a little bit of news. Then, I figure tonight, we dive into some cold cases, some within the nation, United States, some international. And then I would like to do a dive on a local cold case that was recently solved and some of the updates relating to that. First things first, I am flying solo on this one. So unfortunately, I do not have my co-host, my hetero life mate, my best friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Monkey, to join me on discussing some current events. So, with that being said, I'm not going to play the Monkey Coconut News music. It wouldn't feel right. But, let us go ahead and discuss some current events. Now, we have to get the elephant out of the room, just taken care of, like, right now. Because I'm sure everyone by now has heard about what happened at the 94th Oscars. And if you haven't, allow me to discuss this. Now, during a segment, Chris Rock was on stage, and, you know, everyone should know Chris Rock. He is a comedian. He is an actor. He has some of the top-grossing um comedic albums out there he goes on constant tours now chris rock was doing his segment for the oscars and part of the job of a comedian is that you get to roast individuals in the crowd pretty much anyone there could be considered quote-unquote a target of discussion well he brought his attention towards Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. Now, his comment that he made towards Jada was relating to her head. Now, for those who don't know, and I didn't know this until everything came out relating to what occurred, but Jada Pinkett Smith is suffering from an autoimmune disease known as alopecia, which alopecia actually causes severe hair loss. So that's why currently her hair is extremely short. Well, Chris Rock's comment was pretty much stating, hey, Jada, you know, G.I. Jane um, 2, can't wait to see you on there. Now, quite a few people laughed at it. 
Okay, a lot of people laughed at it. Including Will Smith. And the camera just panned on him while he was laughing at the joke. Moments later, while Chris was still on stage, Will Smith got up, walked the stage, went up to Chris Rock, and slapped him. Not a punch. An open-handed slap. Will Smith proceeded to walk away, sit down, and yell to Chris Rock, keep my, I'm not going to say the explicit term, wife's name out of your mouth. Now, after that, like not even 10 minutes after that occurred, the memes started flying. I mean, you can see them all over social media. And that's how I found out about it, honestly, because I didn't know. And then I started doing my research. Hold on one second. I have to clear my throat again. I do have to apologize for that. I'm going to be clearing my throat quite a bit because the weather here in North Dakota just dropped down to cold. It's beginning to rain a little bit. It's just messing with me. So please bear with me. But continuing on. After the slap... Now, I want to remind you that Chris Rock handled this like a professional. You know, he stumbled after getting slapped. I mean, it was a surprise to everybody. And you can take a look at the footage of how many stars just froze. They were just shocked at what occurred. But yet, you see Will Smith walk, have a seat right next to his wife, Jada, and they share a kiss. Now, moments after this... Will Smith actually won the award for Best Male Actor for his portrayal in King Richard. Where he gave a heartfelt speech, and I'm using that in quotations. A heartfelt speech about how it's important to protect family and, you know attempt to roll with the punches on certain jokes and comments and then Getting to that tipping point. Now, I do have my opinions on this. And there's a lot of interesting stuff relating to this. I mean, some people are thinking that this entire ordeal was staged. And looking at the footage, it does look kind of staged. Because you see Will come up, Chris is leaning his head forward. He's gritting his teeth, almost like he knows what's going on. Granted, he was trying to smile, but you can tell he was gritting his teeth. And Will just came all the way back with his right hand and delivered the slap. Now, in pro wrestling terms, this is what's called a work. It's a staged strike. And a lot of signs actually do point to this. But if you take a look at the footage again, he did connect. Granted, it was a very horrible slap. Like, honestly, if you're going to slap someone, you're not going to reach all the way back like you're about to throw a baseball. You're just going to go up. You're going to do it. But I digress. The point is, the slap did occur. 
even though it does look staged. And that's my that's part of my opinion. It does look staged. Now, could it be more exaggerated on their parts? Yes. But it's the outcome. It's the outcome of this that matters. Because, one, Chris Rock it has a tour going on right now. And there were no ticket sales relating to this. Like, no high-grossing ticket sales. But <clears throat> after after this, after this entire ordeal, and I use ordeal loosely, after this episode, I'll say it that way, after this episode with Will Smith coming up and slapping Chris Rock, his ticket sales for his tour just skyrocketed. Because now... A lot of people see Chris Rock as the sympathetic victim. Now, <clears throat> there is one other issue with this. The second thing. Will Smith now looks like he is being the devoted husband defending his wife. Now, I have some issues with this. Because the entire situation could have, be, could have been handled a different way. Completely. They could have went off to the side after the show and discuss all of this. You know, there could have been a press release because for some reason actors like to do a lot of press releases. They could have discussed their entire, the entire situation away from cameras, like gentlemen. But that isn't what happened. And this is Will Smith. Now, mind you... He has had some reports in the past about his anger. I mean, there's been quite a few times where he has let his temper go. And during the past couple of years, you can tell that he's been under a lot of duress with his mental stability. I mean, the entire entanglement series that happened between him and Jada on international TV, mind you. <clears throat> that isn't how you discuss something of major importance and magnitude that affects your marriage or your relationship. But yet, Jada felt that, oh, hey, I'm going to discuss this in front of everybody for everyone for in the world to see. And look what happened to Will. He was hurt. He was in pain. You can only imagine the toil of finding something out like that and then having the laundry aired out in front of the world. Now, granted, Will and Jada have been the center of attention for quite a few things on how they raise their children, you know, what political parties or um, different functions they support their open marriage, they've been, I don't want to say scrutinized. They've been viewed for so many different things. And quite honestly, I'm going to agree with Abba and Preach. Now, Abba and Preach are a duo from Canada that actually do a podcast and they have a YouTube channel. Whenever you get a chance, check them out. But I'm going to agree with them on this. What happened with Will Smith 
was just the tipping point. Because with all the years of everything going on, everything being discussed, everything that has been aired out, all it took was just one moment, just one small joke. And mind you, the Oscars... The Oscars, the Academy Awards, the Tonys, they always hire comedians. The reason why is because they function two roles here. One, to be a good host, to keep the energy going. And two, for a little bit of shock factor, a little bit of shock value. Because it's like a roast. You have all these famous individuals right in front of you. It becomes like a comedy show. And if you have ever been in a comedy show, you're a target. You better have some thick skin in order to be part of a comedy show. Because you never know when the comedian's going to look at you and point something out, roast you, and then continue on with the show. And no one really knew too much about Jada's condition. It really wasn't out there that much that she was going through the issues with alopecia. But it came to light real quick after this incident. (sighs) Needless to say, this entire situation has brought a lot of things to light. Because, one, with this slap, now it brings in, it, it rolls into the history of other things that have happened in the Oscars. Now, I'm going to bring this up real quick. Oscars. Issues. All right. So, there's been... A few things, aside from this incident that occurred. For some reason, it's not letting me bring it up. Hold on. Oscars controversy. There we go. Boom, there it is. Actually, looking at this, now it's just bringing up all the stuff relating to what happened on Sunday. But there's been quite a few controversial issues that have happened in the Oscars throughout the years. As a matter of fact, I think I'm actually going to cover that. I'm actually going to cover that in a show. I just don't know when. But I will be covering it because, aside from this... Like, just looking at all of this. I mean, Jada Pickett Smith shares a message about healing following Oscar controversy. Um, An update relating to Will Smith and Chris Rock. Their apology letters, which I'll get into that as well. Actually, I'll get into it right now. Because after everything that occurred yesterday, both Chris Rock and Will Smith issued apologies. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I forgot to mention what happened whenever Will Smith accepted the award. And I alluded to it a little bit. You know, he just went on stage. He made 
a speech about, you know, defending family and, you know, trying to roll with punches, but yet there's a tipping point. He was on stage crying. He was consoled by Bradley Cooper, Tyler Perry, Denzel Washington. And as I said, it made him look like the sympathetic husband coming to the defense of his wife. But honestly, to me, what it did, and now this is just my own personal opinion on the entire thing. What it did was shed a light that there's so much stress and, I hate to say it, but toxicity in Will and Jada's marriage. There is a lot of toxicity in the marriage. And it's all stemming from Jada. It really is, in my opinion. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but a lot of people are beginning to see it that way. So, I'd like to be able to hear some of your thoughts on what happened during the Oscars. So, hit me up on my Facebook group page, you know, email me, message me on Twitter, let me know what you think. Because even though they did the apology letters, which, go online, read them, to me, those are very blank They're very blanket statements. It's something that you would do if you're trying to cover something up. It feels like that to me. Both of them. Reading Chris Rock's, yes, he's saying that, you know, as a professional, we do have to carry ourselves to a high standard. And there are times where certain jokes do cross the line and he didn't want to cross that line. He apologized to Will and Jada about everything. And then you read Will Smith's comment or sorry, statement. Matter of fact, I'm going to bring it up right now. Cause I want, I want to read both of these for you. <clears throat> Which now, there is a possibility that Will Smith could actually lose his Oscar due to the fact of what he did. And I'm actually going to bring up this post real quick from the New York Times. And already it starts with, Will Smith may be asked to hand back his best actor statuette following his live onstage assault of Chris Rock. And yes, I am going to agree that it was an assault. It wasn't a defense of someone's honor. He went up there and hit another individual. And mind you, granted, yes, it does look extremely staged. But for everything that occurred, he did go up and assault another individual. The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Science, which handed out awards Sunday at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, has strict guidelines in its code of conduct. One highly placed Hollywood, Hollywood source told the Post, after the incident, it's basically assault. Everyone was just so shocked in the room. It was so uncomfortable. I think Will would not want to give his Oscar back, but who knows what will happen now, the insider said. 
Meanwhile, the Academy cryptically announced from its official Twitter account, the Academy does not condone violence of any form. Tonight, we are delighted to celebrate our 94th Academy Award winners who deserve this moment of recognition from their peers and movie lovers around the world. Now, after everything that happened, after, you know, his win, Will Smith was seen laughing and posing with photos following the win with um, Judd Apatow and other people. Um, Actually, sorry, I misread that. Smith was seen laughing and posing with photos following his win as industry bigwigs like Judd Apatow took aim. The knocked-up director, Apatow, was highly critical of of Smith and a now deleted tweet. Quote, he could have killed him. That's pure out of control rage and violence. They've heard a million jokes about them in the last three decades. They're not freshmen in the world of Hollywood and comedy. He lost his mind. And for what he did, I actually agree. I really do agree with that. But here we go. Now we're getting into the code of conduct, which was released in 2017 in the wake of sexual misconduct scandals that hit the industry that emphasizes the importance of holding the Academy's values like inclusion, fostering supportive environments and respect for human dignity. So, there is a possibility that Will could lose his award. Do I feel it may happen? I don't think so. I don't think they would actually pull the trigger on that. But here is a comment from the CEO of the Academy, Don Hudson. And she wrote this. Academy membership is a privilege offered only to a select few within the global community of filmmakers. In addition to achieving excellence in the field of motion picture arts and sciences, members must also behave ethically by upholding the Academy's values of respect for human dignity, inclusion, and a supportive environment that fosters creativity. She added, there is no place in the Academy for people who abuse their status, power, or influence in a manner that violates recognized standard of decency. The Academy is categorically opposed to any form of abuse, harassment, or discrimination on the basis of gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, disability, age, religion, or nationality. The Board of Governors believe that these standards are essential to the Academy's mission and reflective of our values. So, with those words being said, even though Chris Rock did not press charges, you know, Chris Rock could have filed a report, he could have pressed charges, but yes, he did handle it like a professional. And going back to the stage thing, where it does feel like a work, I'm going to say that he handled it like a professional on the guise of that. This was probably staged completely, but let me know what y'all think about this. Oh, here, here it is. Here it is. 
So there's been a lot of things going on with this. And frankly, I think I will cover more of it later because this would take forever, quite honestly. But let's go on with some other news here. Now, we did discuss last week about Jorge Mazaval and Colby Covington. Now, for those who didn't listen to last week's episode or have been watching the news, um, Jorge Mazaval was arrested after an alleged attack on his rival, Colby Covington. Now, Jorge and Colby used to be the best of friends. They were both um, an American top team. They're both MMA fighters. They're both in the UFC. You know, when they first began, they were thick as thieves. They were always together. They were roommates. They were training partners. But then things began drifting apart for them. And eventually they became rivals. So everything occurred after the fact of their fight, which was on March 5th, which Colby Covington won the fight fair and square. But seeing how the, there's a lot of bad blood and Colby is synonymous with trash talking. All he does is trash talk. He is very controversial with a lot of things he says and does. You can actually go online. You can go on YouTube right now and take a look at some of the stuff that Colby has said and done. Some of the most notable things. He has a lot of support for President Donald Trump, which a lot of people consider controversial. And he said this, um, He, at one point, whenever the UFC did their first event in Brazil, he was on the card. After his win, he made the comment that Brazil is a very dirty and horrible place and he'll be excited to leave there. Like, the list goes on. Well, during all of this, between him and Jorge, Colby went on social media and made some comments about Jorge being a horrible father. Now, mind you, Colby and Jorge already said that their rivalry is never going to end, and whenever they see each other, it's going to be, quote-unquote, on-site. Now, for those who do not understand what on-site means is, and I'm going to translate the best way I can while trying to keep PG. If I see you anywhere on the streets, in the gym, at a hotel, I don't care where I see you. We are going to throw hands. We're going to fight. And it was Kobe that initially said this. He said that it's on site. Well, Jorge was arrested for... Assaulting, okay, sorry, allegedly assaulting Colby Covington, which resulted in Colby 
having one of his teeth broken out. And this was outside a Miami restaurant. Now, Jorge did turn himself in on the 23rd of this month. And he was charged with aggravated battery and criminal mischief. Now, all of this happened last Monday around 11 p.m. outside a poppy steak restaurant with Colt, with Colby accusing Jorge of punching him twice in the face. Now, originally, the victim's name was redacted in the affidavit, but TMZ Sports, being the, the diligent detectives they are, actually have video showing Colby outside of the restaurant talking to some individuals about the alleged attack. And then there was a clip that was posted on Twitter after the incident, but it was later deleted. Um, Jorge tagged Covington in the video because he was the one that put it up. And this was all according to ESPN. Now, as I mentioned before, the assault did come after Colby winning against Jorge in the welterweight contest of UFC 272 in Las Vegas, which occurred March 5th. Now, according to this, Colby told authorities that Jorge ran up and struck him without notice or warning. Now, mind you, the idea of on site. Now, I'm going to say something. Colby is the master of the gab. He will get under people's skin. But there's one thing Colby is not. He is not from the street. He is not about that life. Jorge is about that life. He is from the street. He ran with a rough crowd whenever he was a kid. He may have done some time here and there. But the thing is, Colby is not about that life. And this is a textbook example of running your mouth one too many times. Now, According to the report to Miami-Dade County Police, Jorge ran up to Kobe and struck him without notice or warning. As he was leaving Poppy's restaurant, he was hit with a closed fist in the mouth and the eye, leaving Covington with a fractured tooth. To which, during that time, Jorge was yelling, you shouldn't have been talking about my kids. Which this all relates to Kobe's post about Jorge being a bad dad. Now, during all this, after the arrest and everything, which Jorge is still locked up at this point in time. Now, he is looking at two, maybe three um, felonies here, which could see him get some jail time. But, you know, we'll have to see how the process goes. During all of this, Colby has been completely silent. Now, if you ever get a chance, go on YouTube and look up Jesse on Fire. He actually covers the story quite a bit. And there's been some reports from one of Colby's friends, Chiel um, Sonnen, which we're going to get into him here in a minute, that Colby Covington's health is declining over this now we don't know if it's actually his mental health if it's physical health he doesn't go into detail but Colby's health is declining now 
I can't do justice to what Jesse said about this entire issue. Now, he does admit that he is a fan of both Colby and Jorge. But I'm just going to say, check out the video. Jesse does it justice. Seriously, he really does. And I agree with Jesse on everything that he says relating to this because it just seems very sketchy. It really does. You have one of the biggest trash talkers in the world get hit for something he said. And now he goes silent and now he's in a poor condition. But trust me, go on YouTube, check out Jesse on Fire. I think you will agree with Jesse. Not only that, but Jesse does cover a lot of the stuff relating to Cain Velasquez. Um, also, if you are aware of the Cain Velasquez story, I'm not going to get too much into detail about it. But if you do want to support Cain's um, legal team, if you want to donate money to the family, um, there is an ethereal wallet from Marshall Inu, which is a Bitcoin um, company that tailors to individuals that are mixed martial artists. They set up an ethereal wallet where all the money raised will go directly to Cain Velasquez's wife and two children. So check out that video from Jesse on Fire. Um, you'll be able to donate. And also there are going to be quite a few fundraisers to raise more money for Kane and his family. Uh, they still have the free, uh, free Kane Velasquez shirts out that you can easily order. Um, there's tons of links relating to those that you can find online if you want to support. And on behalf of Inter Internet Wonderland, um, we do want to send our thoughts and prayers to Kane and his family during all of this going on. And frankly, I hope that Kane does become free because he's a good man. He's an excellent father. Everything that occurred is due to the fact of an unjust um, judicial system. And I wish things would have played out differently, but unfortunately, things occur and sometimes people try to take matters into their own hands and it shouldn't happen that way. It really shouldn't. Follow the story and also give me your opinion on it as well. But honestly, how everything went down, it wouldn't have happened if the court system was more just and fair on this case. So, going to Chael Sonnen. Now, Chael is known pretty much like Colby to be a very serious trash talker. He loves stirring the pot quite a bit. Now, he did work for the UFC, and now he is an actual ESPN play-by-play -play analyst for all UFC events. So, <laughs> this is interesting. On December 18th, Chael was in Las Vegas where he was arrested for 
11 counts of battery, including a felony, for this incident. Now, TMZ Sports, once again, being the outstanding detectives they are, actually brought forth some more news. Now, it is alleged that Sonnen threw a woman into a light fixture during this incident. He struck her multiple times as well to where the woman suffered a split lip as a result. Also, it is alleged that Sonnen punched a man in the jaw and a security guard member in the throat. Now, there, there's a lot with this. As I said, he's being charged with 11 charges of assault, and one of them being felony battery by strangulation, where he actually choked an individual. Um, now, wow. That's all I can say is just wow. As a martial artist, it doesn't matter traditional or MMA. You actually, I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to really discuss it further. Now, we already know that alcohol was involved with this and Chael was acting very, very belligerent which led to everything that occurred. You know, it's shameful that a professional put himself into that position. It really is. So right now I'm going to take a small little break. And whenever I come back, we're going to be discussing some national and international cold cases. And also we're going to be discussing the Anna, oh, sorry, the Anita, Anita Knudsen cold case that was recently solved. So I'll be back in a moment. Thank you. 
Once again, this is Cheshire's Place, a looking glass in logical madness, and I am your host, the melodious one, Mr. Cheshire. So, I want to clarify something real quick in my comments relating to Cain Velasquez. Now, I do not condone what it is he did because it was reckless, it was foolish, it was highly dangerous, and it could have put the lives of innocents and Jeopardy, which it did. Now, all I am saying is what happened overall is a travesty because looking at the case, the prosecutor asked for the individual who, who sexually molested one of Cain's children to be placed in jail, behind bars. But the judge decided to just let the person go and have house arrest. Now, this is the thing that really bugs me about that entire case. The individual that did those things to Cain's child still lives with his parents, and his mother still runs that daycare. Now, I haven't seen in the news if the daycare was closed down to this or anything, but as of right now, I am assuming that the mother still has the daycare. So now you have an individual who is on house arrest that has to wear a monitor bracelet who is in the vicinity of children right below his room. So... Once again, I'm not condoning what Cain did. I understand the reason why he did it. Because he felt that it was a grave mistake on the part of the judge and the judicial judicial system, which it is. It really is. And it's upsetting that he felt that the law betrayed him and he had to take matters into his own hands. All right. So let us begin to dive into the second half of our episode. Now, there's a lot of cold cases out there. Now, allow me to express what a cold case is. A cold case is an unsolved criminal investigation as of a homicide or abduction that has stopped being actively pursued because of lack of evidence. Now, there are a lot of cold cases in the world. Matter of fact, as of right now, as of 2019... There have been 15,449 homicides. Out of that, unsolved or that are cold cases, 6,544, which is kind of crazy thinking about it. So many cases go without answers. 
So many individuals that seek justice eventually do not get to see it until possibly years upon years later. So <clears throat> I'd like to discuss a few cold cases, um, starting with some in the U.S. that are rather famous and then moving to some international ones. So the first one that we're going to discuss is the murder of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. So, <clears throat> the Black Dahlia, or Elizabeth Short, was 22 years old. Uh, she was a, an, a, an aspiring actress, and she had very beautiful features from what individuals said, and even her for, um, in her photos. She was beautiful. She had dark curly hair and green eyes. Now, she was found alongside a sidewalk in the Lamert Park neighborhood of L.A. January morning of 1947. She was naked, sliced in two just above her waist, bizarrely drained of blood, posed, and at the edges of her mouth, it was sliced from lip to ear. Now, the press began calling her the Black Dahlia. And there's been many people that have falsely confessed to the murder, and the police had many suspects, but no one was ever formally charged. Um, it is considered one of the most famous unsolved murders in American history, and also one of the oldest unsolved cases in Los Angeles County. Um <clears throat> There was a series, there was a letter that was sent to newspapers. Uh, pretty much, this, the one I'm about to read, it was addressed to the Los Angeles Herald Express. And it was claimed that it was written by the, the, by the murderer who, who killed Elizabeth Short. Um, but some experts believe that the letters were the work of journalists just trying to keep the story alive. So the letter said to the Los Angeles Herald Express, I will give up in Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. <clears throat> now, another one that was very famous, and this is dealing with the American Mafia with organized crime, and it's the murder of Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Now, <clears throat> he was found on a couch in his girlfriend's house in a Beverly Hills mansion in 1947. Now, he used to head an outfit known as Murder Incorporated, and he was assassinated at age 41. Now, many people speculate that it could be a mob hit, it could be revenge by someone that he may have wronged, um... It could have been a preemptive strike by, like, a um, soon-to-be victim's wife. There's so many different theories relating on why, why he was murdered. And as of right now, the case is still open. Another, <clears throat> another one, and honestly, this one has recently been solved to some extent. And that is relating to the Zodiac Killer. Now, 
If you've ever seen the movie Zodiac or if you've ever watched any of the Zodiac killer documentaries, and there's plenty of them out there, you know, you understand the story a little bit. But for those who are not familiar with the Zodiac killer, he murdered at least five people in Northern California in the late 1960s and possibly as many as 37. Now, he taunted the police with sending out these very unique cryptic letters. And it took a very long time to try to solve these. Matter of fact, um, the one of the puzzles, one of the letters was solved actually in 2020, um, in which it read, I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner. Now, as I said, there's some speculation that the case has been solved and they may have pinpointed an individual who was actually the Zodiac killer. But they're still doing some further investigation on it. I mean, this has been going on now for about 53 years. So hopefully we get some better answers on everything. Um <clears throat> So another thing about the Zodiac Killer, um, in relation to his secret letters, his um, the language that he used, um, it was known by ciphers. One of the most notable was the 408 cipher, which contained the message, I like killing people because it is so much fun. Then there was the 340 cipher, which wasn't decoded until 2020. And it began, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. Now, <clears throat> the letter in the Dakota cipher hasn't been enough to crack the case. Though, as I mentioned before, there have been several suspects that have been investigated, four being the Zodiac killer, but it's never been proven. One of them being school teacher Arthur Leigh Allen, who was institutionalized in 1975 for unrelated crimes. Now, it's the theory states that the killer was active before 1968 and well into the 1980s. So there is not a definite number on how many individuals he may have killed. And one other cold case that I'd like to talk about is the Hall Mills murders. Now, this is the murder of... Minister Edward Wheeler Hall, who was having an extramarital affair with a member of his congregation, Eleanor Mills, who was also, both of them were married. And this occurred, this occurred in 1922. Now, on September 14th, they left their respective family homes to meet each other. When Minister Hall didn't return that night, his wife, Frances, and one of his brother-in-laws began a search, but neither... Minister Halls or Mrs. Mills were found until two days later when another couple walk, um, were walking and found their bodies under a crab apple tree. Um, Minister Hall was shot once in the head, but Mrs. Mills' body was extremely brutalized. She was shot in the face three times, had her throat slashed, and almost to the point where she was decapitated. Also, later on during an autopsy, it revealed that Mrs. Mills' tongue and larynx were cut out. Um, after they were killed, their bodies were arranged in a near embrace. So, 
You can tell that this was a very personal affair due to the fact of these individuals. Um, there is a lot of suspicion in a lot of the stories out there point to Minister Hall's wife, Frances, along with her brothers, William and Henry Stevens. They were considered prime suspects, but there was no proof of this. So it has went unsolved for a very long time. Now, just as we have a, quite a few cold cases here in the U.S., there are plenty of cold cases around the world. You know, and while I was doing my research for this, I was not aware of how many famous ones there were. So we're going to actually read an article from Ranker.com, and they actually talk about some of these international cases. Now, this is entitled The 11 International Unsolved Crimes That Americans Have Never Heard Of. And once again, I have definitely never heard of these. Now, we're just going to go down this list because it's actually very fascinating. The first one is Taman Shud which is Australia's most mysterious cold case. Now, on the evening of November 30th, 1948, John Bain Lyons and his wife were walking around were walking along Somerton Beach, which is a resort area near the Adelaide uh, Sorry, it's hard to talk. It happens sometimes. But this is a resort near Adelaide, Australia. They noticed a well-dressed man about 20 yards away, propped up against a concrete barrier in the sand. He motioned erratically towards them, but then was still. The next day, Lyons noticed the man in the same position and checked on him. He had passed since their last encounter, and a cigarette butt was positioned as if it fallen out of his mouth. Now, during the autopsy, the mortician discovered that along the man's pockets contained transit tickets from Adelaide, a pack of cigarettes, matches, gum, and a comb. There was no wallet, cash, or ID. His behavior suggested intoxication intoxication, or even poisoning. But during the odd tops, he had turned up nothing. His suit had no name tags, and even the brands were removed. Um, the calves were abnormally well-developed, and his feet had a particular pointed shape that led some to believe that he may have been a, a, valet, a ballet dancer. Now, <clears throat> the police tried circulating fingerprints worldwide and tried to connect the identified body to known missing persons. They also checked hotels, lost and founds, dry cleaners, pretty much anything and everything that they could in order to try to establish an identity for this individual. Now, months after the investigation, authorities discovered a small pocket in the waistband of the pants. Inside was a tiny rolled-up slip of paper with the words Taman Shud printed on it. Eventually, investigators linked the scrap of paper to an edition of the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam, which is a popular 12th century book of Persian poetry. Translated, the words mean, it is ended. Now, the actual book that the slip of paper came from turned up in the backseat of another individual who had been at the beach, most likely tossed there by someone else. 
when police examined the book, they found a phone number that was connected to a name to a man by the name of Alfred Boxall. Although Boxall was still alive and had his own copy of the Rubaiyat, which was intact. He received it from a woman named Joe Thompson. Um, when she was create, confronted with the likeness of the unknown dead man, police noticed she became anxious, but she claimed to have no knowledge of who he was. So some of the theories, and this has been going on for decades, um, the man has never been um, identified. And even with the advancement of DNA and, you know, just the processing, they still haven't came up with any type of identity for this individual. Now, let's discuss the brutal murder of the Al-Hili family in the French Alps. And this actually happened on September 5th, 2012, an unknown assailant shot and killed four people near the French Alpine town of Chevaline, near Link Annecy. Annecy? Now, okay, I do apologize in advance if I am butchering names of places. I, I really do apologize. I try to say them the best that I can. But three victims were members of the Al-Hili family. Said, who was age 50, an Iraqi-born British citizen, his wife, Iqbal, who was 47, and the mother-in-law, Shuihala Halaf, who was 74. Authorities also found the body of a local French cyclist, Sylvain Moyer, who was 45. Another cyclist discovered the bodies after seeing the Ahili's seven-year-old daughter stumbling across the parking lot before she collapsed. The unknown attacker had shot the girl in the shoulder and brutally pistol-whipped her. Her four-year-old sister hid underneath her mother's skirt, and authorities did not find her until hours later, unscathed physically but traumatized by the incident. Now, police initially suspected an estranged brother, who was Zaid Ahili, to have committed the crimes over a dispute about the father's estate. But investigators did not charge him due to the lack of evidence. Um, Further speculations are that the Ahili possibly had connections to bank accounts linked to Saddam Hussein, that his wife had a secret ex-husband in the U.S. who died on the same day as she did, and that the Ahili were involved in complex security technology that have only really added to the mystery surrounding this case. Um, The media has actually um, discussed several other potential suspects, being Michael Heck, who is a uh, Belgian suspected of a similar 30-year-old murder in Brittany, and Nordal Ledanis, who is an ex-soldier. But there has been no definite solution to this case, and it remains unsolved. Now, this is one I've actually seen online, and this I, I actually saw it discussed on the infographic show, um, shout out to the infographic show because they actually come out with some very good content and it's very interesting. They have a lot of topics that they cover unsolved mysteries, um, what if scenarios, um, top 10 list. It goes on. So whenever you get a chance, go on, 
YouTube and look up the infographic show. If you're curious about certain things, they will probably have it covered for you. So this was the lead mask case of Ventem Hill in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Now, this occurred in August of 1966 when an individual was flying a kite on Ventem Hill in Brazil when he found two adult male dead bodies. The men were identified as Miguel Viana and Manuel Pereira del, uh, da Cruz. They were dressed in suits and raincoats with crude lead masks covering their eyes. Now, police noticed an empty water bottle nearby and a small notebook with a cryptic message inside that was written in Portuguese, which said, in 1630, be at the agreed place. 1830, swallow capsules. After effect, protect metal metals weight for mass sign. So... 1630, 1830, that's a military time if you're not familiar with it. 1630 being 430 and 1830 being 630 and both times are in the afternoon and evening. Now, an autopsy turned out no trace of anything inappropriate, but the delay before the autopsy may have invalidated the testing. Further investigation turned up the fact that both men were UFO enthusiasts and clearly were on the verge of an ingesting something that might have been dangerous. Now, there were rumors of UFO sightings in the area, which might explain what drew the men there. Their masks turned out to be homemade by the men themselves. Now, Brazilian authorities have never been able to solve the case, and the circumstances around the two men's deaths still re remain unknown. Kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, in a way, what they did is similar to what happened here in the U.S. with the Heaven's Gate cult and the ritualistic group suicide. Um, I may actually do an episode in Season 5 relating to cults and occurrences that happen with those. Uh, now, I'm not going to cross the line of religion. I just want to stick with actual cults. Because granted, there are people out there that do believe that organized religion is a cult, and I'm not going to cross that line. But I will discuss tragedies with cults. Now, most notably, Jamestown, for one. Then there's quite a few others internationally that we'll, we will be discussing. Now, <clears throat> the next international um, cold case is the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley from a Caribbean cru uh, cruise ship. And this occurred March 24th, 1998. And the cruise ship was sailing from Aruba to Caraco. 23-year-old Amy Lynn Bradley left her cabin in the early morning hours intent on smoking a cigarette. The ship was on the verge of docking, and her father saw her sleeping in the family cabin at 5.30 in the morning. When the entire family woke at six, Amy has vanished and left her cabin barefoot and only taking her lighter and cigarettes with her. The family began a search. Cruise ship management refused to stop passengers from disembarking and also refused pu to publicly alert the other passengers about Amy's disappearance. Crew members that have interacted with Amy in the ship's nightclub express an inordinate interest in her during the cruise. Authorities never found Amy, and despite an investigation by the FBI, they were unable to continue the investigation in an international jurisdiction. 
Now, the FBI did receive some credible tips from people who correctly identified her tattoos. One indicated unknown perpetrators were holding her against her will in a Caraco brothel. Now, there have been some con artists out there claiming to be ex-Navy sales who stated that they knew where Amy was located, offered to stage an armed intervention and successfully extort $200,000 from the family until the ringleader was unmasked and prosecuted. Now, there was also an adult website who emailed Amy's parents a photo bearing an uncanny resemblance to her and implied the individual in the photo was not there willingly. And also there was another claim that in 2005, an individual did claim to have spotted Amy in the Barbados. Now, the case of Natalie Holloway, which is similar to this case, did rekindle some interest in Amy's disappearance, but she still has not been located. And as of 2018, the FBI is still offering a reward of $25,000 for concrete tips to locate the whereabouts of Amy Lynn Bradley. Now, let's go over the pond to Great Britain to discuss the murder of television journalist Jill Dando. Now, she was a well-known British BBC television journalist and an on-air broadcaster. An unknown assailant shot her to death outside her home on April 26, 1999. Um, she hosted the, the program Crime Watch, which coincidentally broadcasted information about unsolved crimes. After leaving the home of her boyfriend on the morning of April 26, she arrived at her own home in suburban London. As she was opening her front door, an assailant grabbed her, wrestled her to the ground, and shot her once through the temple, killing her immediately. A neighbor observed a six-foot-tall Caucasian man rapidly leaving the vicinity, but did not connect him to the incident until later, having heard nothing. Now, after a long-year investigation, police arrested a man with a criminal history of stalking and an inappropriate sexual behavior by the name of Barry George. <clears throat> now, he was initially convicted and given a life sentence, but the courts eventually dismissed the conviction on appeal. The courts retried George and acquitted him. And also, George has won several libel lawsuits against a number of British tabloids. Now, there has been a case been made that Dando was murdered by someone with either a Yugoslavian or Serbian connection as revenge for a NATO bombing which killed 16 employees of a Serbian TV station. According to The Mirror, Jill had fronted a TV appeal for Cosvian Albanian refugees just weeks before her death, which is believed to enrage Serbian paramilitaries. Authorities have not made any subsequent arrest, and the case has still gone silent since 2013. All right, so here we go. I'm not going to go through all of these. I'm taking a look at certain ones that are very unique. Now, this one is a an article about a possible North Korean kidnapping of a Mormon missionary. Now, David Snidden 
I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. He was a Mormon missionary studying Chinese and traveling as a tourist in Yunnan province. He was 24 years old when he disappeared in 2014. Local Chinese authorities asserted that he had fallen into a popular canyon and drowned, but there was no body that was ever located. His parents traveled to China and located several witnesses who credibly claimed that they had interacted with David long after he traversed the gorge and that he had been seen near the China-Burma border. Now, for 12 years, the Sneedon family maintained that they did not believe David was dead. But in September of 2016, Choi Sung-yong, the head of of the South Korean abductees family union, said he had information claiming that Sneedon is currently living in Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea. Allegedly, Sneedon is married to a Korean woman, has two children, and is an English teacher. Sung Yong maintains then-Korean leader Kim Jong-il issued Sneedon's kidnapped to have him tutor his son, Kim Jong-un, in English. Sneedon was fluent in Korean. Reportedly, a Korean woman in Beijing approached him, inquiring if he could tutor her children. Now, North Korea is he does North Korea does have a history of abducting foreign nationals. Um, that way, they can remain in North Korea and tutor government officials in certain languages and cultures. Um, this definitely happens with quite a few kidnappings of those of Japanese descent and them taken being taken over to North Korea. Um, but in 2016, a spokesperson for the North Korean foreign ministry denied the Sneedon kidnapping allegations. So that one is still open to this day. Now let's discuss and this is going to be my final one relating to international cold cases. The Setagaya family murders in Tokyo. And December 30th, 2000, a neighbor found Mikio Miyazawa, 44, his 41-year-old wife, Yasuko, 8-year-old daughter, Ninya, and 6-year-old son, Ray, murdered in their home. Japanese police in Setagaya, Tokyo, launched a massive investigation which since have included over 246,000 investigators in total. An unknown assailant stabbed the Miyazawas and their daughter and strangled their son. Police found a knife, a sweater, sneakers, and a gem bag all tied to the killer who remained long enough to eat ice cream, use the family computer, and even use the toilet leaving fecal residue. A DNA composite from blood found at the scene indicated a father of Korean descent and a mother of Mediterranean descent. The Miyazawas lived near an an expanding skate park, which had prompted many neighbors to move after receiving sizable government payments to do so. Reportedly, the Miyazawas were also planning to move after such a payment. One theory is an acquaintance murdered them to acquire the money. As... Of 2017, there is a 20 million yen, which equates to $187,000 reward for information concerning the killer and the 40 officers active in solving the case. So, you can tell with this, 
just by reading these few cold cases from the U.S. and internationally, there's a lot of information not out there for justice to be solved. And we may never know what happened to these individuals. You know, one can hope that one day they will receive justice. Answers would be provided. But until then, it all remains a mystery. Now, there are times when cold cases are solved. And I'd like to discuss a local cold case that we had here in North Dakota that <clears throat> was recently solved. I, I really don't want to say it's solved because, I mean, still needs to go to trial and, as we say on here, innocent until proven guilty. Now, this was a 15-year-old cold case that happened here in Minot, North Dakota. And it's the 2007 murder of Anita Knutson. Now, Anita was a student at Minot State University. And she lived off campus. So, I apologize. Um, it's hard to talk about this one a little bit because, you know, it does hit to home, hit close to home because it did happen here. But we're going to cover it. And I know a lot of news outlets have covered it. I know that there's a possibility of a lot of local podcasters that probably discussed it. But, you know, it. I feel that, you know, that just the knowledge needs to be out there. So Anita was 18 years old when she was found murdered at her home in Minot. On June 4th, 2007. Now, her father called the police because she had, he, he never, he didn't hear from her for a couple of days, which was very unusual because in reports, her family said that Anita would, con would stay in constant contact with them. Now, when police arrived at the scene, they found Anita's body dead in her bedroom. She was lying face down on the bed covered with a large house coat and she was stabbed to death. Now, for more than a decade after the murder, there was n no real person of interest, very little evidence, and an individual that didn't have justice. Now, now there's been a breakthrough which led to the arrest of Anita's former roommate uh, Nicole Rice now Nicole was arrested 
on Minot Air Force Base on March 16th of this year. Now, as I mentioned, Rice was Anita's roommate during the time of her murder. And in making an announcement, Minot Police Chief John Klug said that although most of the detectives who worked on the original scene and investigation have retired, we have not forgotten about this case. Now, the chief did go on to say that Rice was always considered a person of interest, but he did not go into further details on the case or motive. Um, Anita's story was um, featured on Dateline's Cold Case Spotlight digital series in 2015 and also included an interview with Anita's younger sister, Anna. Um... Going through this even more. Now, in June of 2007, after not hearing from Anita, Gordon Knudsen, who is Anita's father, grew worried about his daughter. He went to the apartment on June 4th. Anita's car was parked outside and the apartment was locked. Um, The apartment manager let him in the apartment where he discovered... Anita's body in the bedroom. She was stabbed multiple times. The murder weapon, which was a bloody knife, had been left behind in the sink. Nothing appeared to be missing from the apartment, but a slash screen from Anita's bedroom window was found on the ground outside. So... You know, just thinking about it, because this is, this was set 15 years ago, and the individual responsible was arrested. So, I can only imagine the sigh of relief that the family has, and in the hope that justice will be served. Now, mind you... Nicole Rice was arrested on on the 16th of this month. But Rice made her initial appearance by video at the Ward County Clark House two days later. The preceding judge set Rice's bond at $120,000 cash or a $250,000 surety bond. Now, what a surety bond is, that is a payment from a bail bondsman where an individual would have to put up 10% of the payment. Now, according to the Ward County Sheriff's Department, Rice posted bond on Thursday evening. Going further into the story, the entire payment of $120,000 was paid out. Now, there's been a lot of uprage about this because there are individuals in Ward County Jail right now that have bonds for similar crimes or for the exact crime. And the bonds are set at $750,000 up to a million. The prosecutors of this case requested that the court gave Mrs. Rice a $1 million 
bail, have that established. But the judge decided against it and pretty much stated that it'll be set at the $120,000 or the $250,000 surety bond and stated that Miss Mrs. Rice didn't leave after the murder initially and it's been 15 years. There's a feeling that she wouldn't run. Now, the further news relating to Mrs. Rice here is that she actually has she actually has ran before because there was a case where in a different county where she actually did skip and there was a warrant placed out for so I'm looking at this from a very a very unique perspective on multiple different fronts. And almost to me, it feels similar to the Kane Velasquez situation where due justice is not being done through the judicial system where the prosecutors are requesting something in order to ensure that people would remain safe. Or I shouldn't say that. Where the person in question of committing said crime would remain behind bars, but the judge is not heeding the information. So, what happens... If Nicole Rice does decide to try to leave. Now, granted, she paid the bond. She paid it flat out. So, right now, she's set for a preliminary hearing on April 21st at 3 p.m. Where... She will be charged with the one count of murder and the death of Anita Knudsen. Now, there have been reports where individuals have noted that Nicole Rice mentioned that she admitted to committing the crime and she mentioned all of this information while being extremely belligerently drunk there's one report from an an ex-husband or not ex-husband ex-boyfriend that states that you know while at a party Nicole was extremely drunk and actually brought up the fact that she did kill Anita and this was during 2008 or 2009 whenever she initially said it so (sighs) 
it's it's just crazy. So as of right now, I'm very, very skeptical that Nicole Rice will make it to the April 21st hearing, mainly due to the fact that, A, records already show that she has a history of running. It's just very... It's very hurtful that the courts lowered her bond when there's other individuals that did the same thing or something similar that are in jail with higher bonds. The same should be done to her. For over 15 years, Anita's family did not have justice. They did not have peace of mind that the individual who snuffed out the light of their oldest child and sister would never be brought to justice. And now, with this individual who caused Anita's passing was found the judge decided to give her, in my opinion, extreme leniency. How is that fair? You have an individual for 15 years that caused the grief and suffering of a family. And... The judge felt that this individual would not be a danger and would not run. So my question is, what will happen if A, Mrs. Rice decided to run? Or B, Mrs. Rice, for some reason, decides to inflict harm on someone else? I feel that the judge should be the one to answer for it. I feel that the judge who decided to make that call, instead of holding Nicole Rice in jail, like everyone else, should be held responsible for his decision. I hope that everything does go the right way. I hope that Mrs. Rice does go and follow the trial proceedings. Now, if she is innocent after all of this, then congratulations. But if she is guilty, and they do find her guilty in court. I hope and pray that the family of Anita Knutson will have solace, knowing now that justice will be served.
But a part of me feels that Nicole Rice may try to run. That's just me. That's my personal opinion. You are more than welcome to let me know what your opinion is on this. You can follow me on my group page. You can email me at CheshireLookingGlass at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Place Cheshire. I want to know your opinion about the Anna Knutson case. I want to know your opinion about the Jorge Mazaval, Colby Colbenton situation. I want to know your opinion on the Cain Velasquez situation. I want to know your opinion about the Will Smith, Chris Rock incident that happened during the Oscars. Let me know what it is you think. Now, let me catch my breath for a moment. You know, it's just very upsetting. It really is. That justice is not being served in certain cases. And it just makes me wonder when justice will be served. So, I would like to leave everyone on a thought tonight. Sometimes when things happen and we feel that due process is not being done. One, we have to let cooler heads prevail. It's understandable if you feel that The process isn't working, and there are times where it does not. But you cannot take the law into your own hands. Because, as you know, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. This has been another episode of Cheshire's Place. A Looking Glass and a Logical Madness. I have been your host, the Melodious One, Mr. Cheshire. Stay tuned this week for Thursday's episode, where I will have my co-host, my best friend, my hetero life mate, Monkey, here, soaring the digital airwaves with us. And just as my namesake, the Cheshire Cat, I am everywhere, yet nowhere. We'll see you on Thursday night.
Thank you.